0: This is Inside China. I'm Jasmine Tse. Exactly one week ago, on September 7th, Hong Kong was struck by a rainstorm unlike any other. Between 11 p.m. and midnight, 158.1 millimeters of rain, or 6.2 inches, was recorded in the city. That's the most rainfall recorded in an hour since records began 139 years ago in 1884. An amber rainstorm warning was issued that night, which was then raised to a red alert, and then black. Black is the highest rainstorm alert in the city, It was the first black alert in two years, and it would become the longest black alert in Hong Kong's history.
1: Transport has been suspended across the city, with flights still going, while schools and
0: even the stock market closed.
2: Businesses, hotels, shopping malls flooded.
0: The Hong Kong observatory said that the heavy rains were associated with the remnants of Typhoon Kui, which had struck Taiwan a few days earlier. Other parts of southern China were pounded by heavy rain as well, including the commercial city of Shenzhen and the eastern coast of Fujian province. Here in Hong Kong, I was working from home that day and staying dry. But I spoke with a colleague of mine who was out on the streets, wading through water that was reaching his ankles, and he was trying to figure out what was happening in the city. Harvey Kong is a reporter on the City Desk, and he was covering the Black Rainstorm last week. Harvey, can you take me through your Thursday evening? What were you doing when the Black Rainstorm alert was issued?
2: So when the Black Rainstorm warning was issued at 11 p.m., I was actually at home and I was actually planning to get a late dinner. And I guess that sort of brings home how usual these sort of rainstorm warnings that we're seeing in Hong Kong. So I didn't really think much of the black rainstorm warning when I stepped out the door. I only realized that the rain was perhaps slightly more serious than usual. And that was really the only hint to the disaster that was yet to come. So looking at the situation when I left my uh, home in Hong Kong, I realized I was raining very, very hard. So I decided to go home, call it quits. And I didn't really realize how bad things was until I received a message on WhatsApp showing that there was actually a street that was near my home that was flooded. And to me, this was very surprising because that street isn't usually a street that you would see flood. So I decided to sort of pluck up my journalistic curiosity and went down in a bigger umbrella personally, and also slippers, and I decided to start walking through the street. And I didn't realize how bad the situation was until I walked up to one of the streets near my home, and I realized that the water was not only filling the street, it was up to about my ankles, and that was sort of a hint of how bad the rainstorm was in its beginning. And to me, it was a big shock because Hong Kong isn't usually a place that you would associate with flooding. During typhoons, during other rainstorms, you never see the street flood this badly. So I guess that sort of brings home how bad this particular rainstorm was, even during the beginning, when parts of the street or parts of you know, neighborhoods in Hong Kong where you don't usually see flooding is starting to flood. And, you know, a little bit further down the street, I could see, you know, people trying to wade through the floodwaters, sort of. You have people trying to, you know, go through the other side of the street holding grocery bags. You have cars trying to sort of brave through the rainwater um, and trying to drive through. So that's sort of the situation I was seeing here in Hong uh, Kong.
0: I also saw that you posted several videos on Twitter. How long were you out on the streets when you recorded those videos?
2: Um, so at this point, I believe I've been out on the street for an hour or two. Um, I don't really remember. It's, uh, it's a, It was a really adrenaline-packed situation. So at that point, I wanted to sort of sum up what the situation was like. Uh, having waded through the floodwaters at some parts of my hometown and then as a sort of wanted to sort of bring this home and also to summarize this for people at home or people who might not know what the situation is like so i'm here in hong hong right now where we are getting an unprecedented amount of floodwater here in this area or district so essentially if you can see behind me there's a little bit of floodwater here on the road that's about ankle deep Uh, Judging from the pedestrians and vehicles trying to wade through it. And I don't think I've ever seen flooding ever, you know, this serious in my entire life. And I don't think even during the typhoon was flooding this serious. Um, On the adjacent street, on Wuhu Street, there are actually sections of, uh, uh, sections where flood water were also about ankle deep as well. And it's probably um, the craziest I've ever seen in terms of flood. It just sort of shows... magnitude of um, the flooding situation here in Hong Kong, or at least in this area tonight. And I believe I used the word unprecedented in that video and I think that perhaps that was the right decision because I think at that moment uh, everyone sort of realized how bad the situation would be. The only, I guess, thought that we had was we had no idea how bad the situation would be and that would quickly reveal itself the next day.
0: So that's what was going on in your neighborhood of Hong Kong. But did you also find out what was happening to the rest of Hong Kong? Were you monitoring social media?
2: So evidently, because this rainstorm got worse and worse overnight, there was a lot of video coming up on social media. And I guess the most popular, or the most viral video that everyone's looking at was that video that shows long tien MTR station turning into sort of a waterfall. And I don't particularly know which exit that is, but I guess that sort of paints how badly the situation was as the rainstorm drew on towards the night.
0: There were also social media videos that people filmed while they were inside an MTR train. The train didn't stop at the Wong Tai Sin station because the platform was submerged in several inches of rainwater. And then you were also
2: seeing videos of other places in Hong Kong, um, you know, slopes turning into rivers. Roads that are not usually flooded. Again, also turning into uh, rivers filled with murky flood water. And that was sort of the night for me. I, I sort of clocked out around two and I decided that, oh, okay, I've had enough of this. I'll pick up on the aftermath the next morning. And when I woke up the next morning, I didn't realize that the situation has sort of rolled on and continued on overnight and it was sort of shows how serious the situation is because I saw a video of Wan Chai's Tennessee Road being completely flooded and that's another road that you do not expect to see flooded here in Hong Kong. That's a very, very rare occurrence and also surrounding roads in Causeway Bay, Chai Wan. There were so many images, so much video of exactly how devastating this rainstorm was to the people of Hong Kong. So it was really shocking just waking up in the morning and seeing all of that, knowing that it sort of continued on from the chaos from the night before.
0: Before we get to the next day, let me bring in Denise Zheng. She's an editor for the South China Morning Post. And on the night of September 7th, she found herself stuck in traffic for two and a half hours during this heavy rainstorm.
1: What the drama on that night, because I had a very nice dinner with a group of business people. And then at 9.30, there was amber rainstorm warning issue. It was still OK because I could see out of the window, things were still quite calm and normal. And then, when the event finished at 10, I left the venue, which is in Chimsa Choi. And then my husband came and picked me up with our car. So I hop onto that quickly because it started to get worse. So um, we tried to get home as soon as possible because the weather didn't look good. And then uh, we went through the Line Rock Tunnel, through the Tolo Harbour Highway, and then to Taipo. The rain got really bad. By the time we went to the Tolo Highway, I mean that was the worst time probably, because they were pretty flooded on both sides of the roads. So we tried to look in front of us very uh, carefully and drove very slowly. And then all the cars would turn on some lights, you know, flashy lights to show that we are here, you know, don't get onto me, you know. So uh, we, it was pretty stressful at that moment because it normally took 15 minutes. But in the end, it took us half an hour at least to get through the highway. And then the black rainstorm warning was the issue. That was quite a, a dramatic moment because we really fear that, you know, things will turn really bad. Because water on both sides of the road built up like a stream running very fast. There was no sign that we could move ahead at all. We continued to wait for like another 45 minutes. And then it was like getting close to midnight. And then I started to feel not good because I watched the battery of the EV I was on. So just within around nearly two hours, the battery ran down by 20%. So that was the moment I had to think about the way out. And then I was discussing, you know, with my husband, asking him, what, what should we do in this moment? And then he did not answer me. He was very calm, you know, listening to radio and doing nothing. The but then I, I was thinking, well, it's a dilemma. Where should we leave this place? But where should we go? But that's another thinking is, oh, just eight kilometers away, it's our home, you know, we'll get there very soon. But there were still no signs of moving ahead at all. And then I saw a double-decker nearby. Passengers started to feel paranoid, and they get off the bus in the middle of nowhere, basically. So I saw people, you know, embracing the rain, and then the umbrella basically couldn't help them. They all got soaked, and they walked in the darkness, you know, across the road. There were some other drivers, very restless. They got off the cars, they tried to walk to the front and see what was going on. But I don't think anyone got any information because I try myself, you know. I'm a a reporter, a journalist, you know. I tried to search whatever I could online. I found nothing. I browsed the government uh, mobility app, which gave me no information what's going on, whether there was any traffic accident, nothing on Tinkok Road, Danielle. I browsed some radio apps, which normally have the first-hand information. Again, nothing I could find. So in the end, I WhatsApp my families, my friends who live on the same road. And then someone gave me a very good answer because there was a girl trying to leave the place and went to Taipo not long ago. And she found there was a notice at the Taipo market station saying all the minibuses towards Taimaito were cancelled because there was a green minivan got broken down in the middle of the road. And then I felt so so discouraged because obviously I don't think that van will be removed very soon because everything, you know, was just unfolding. I mean, the downpours was going on and then even fire engines had no way to get to the place. So suddenly I got an idea, well, Maybe we should turn to some hotels because we really don't know how long you have to wait for before the traffic will start again. So and then I was searching on the internet and then I found there's a very nice hotel in the university station near Shantin. I think that was should be quite safe to go because it was just in the middle of the Tolu Highway. I rang the hotel and said, I got a car, I got two people, and how much it cost for a night. It was expensive, but in the end, I have to pay it. So I paid like $1,500 totally. After a, um, quite a number of saga, I mean, we got to the hotel. And then I was quite astonished to find that there were like around five couples were in the queue as well. All of them did not bring along belongings like us. <laughs> so basically, we were on the same boat. But then by the time I went there, I, I calculated that I wouldn't have enjoyed that more than 12 hours. <laughs> what a short stay, I mean, and then it cost so much. But I mean, that is the only choice at the time I had. It was end up okay, you know, at least we got our feet uh, dry and then we could stay somewhere overnight. But to be honest, I could not sleep at all because I was a bit concerned about my home situation because I had another EV at home and I don't know whether it was flooded or not because seven years ago, there was a very bad flood, you know, happened in the village, at my home, basically. So I lost my my car at the time. It was a shame because that car was still usable, but then it was... Destroy anyhow, in the flood. I didn't want history to repeat itself. So anyhow, I, I spent my night in worries. <laughs> when, when I woke up, I was kind of traumatised because all these hassles the night before. I did not bring along any uh, mobile phone cable to get my phone charged. And then the hotel ran out of cable to lend it to guests. So I had just had like 30% battery left behind. <laughs> Another worry. So I, the first thing I, I woke up, I, I did was to turn on the phone and found that, oh my God, you know, the rain kept ringing as as well. And then the black rainstorm continued. The next thing I did was to uh, lift up the curtain. And then I saw flash flood in front of me. <laughs> because the hotel room was facing the hillside of Taipo Road. I saw a river. It's a kind of a waterfall, you know, even though it wasn't comparable to Niagara, but there was something like a mini Niagara in front of me. It was scary because I saw some fire engines and police cars, they were on ready on the road. I suspect something pretty bad happened over there. And then the water gushing out, you know, horrible anyhow. So I was pretty worried about my my home and whatnot, but then I really had to try to get home safely and check the road situation. It looked like the roads were restored, clear up. And then later on, I checked out and then we drove home. But on the way, I saw like two or three cars were still got stuck in water. So that means some parts of the road were still not really uh, in use yet. So I saw some nice cars, you know, got soaked in water. I felt so sorry for the drivers. There wasn't any flooding at my home, which normally would have happened already. But of course, you know, that large-scale flood did not happen, but there was still some pools you know, of water, which was, you know, normal compared to other places. that end, up, I was lucky, you know, everything was okay. I really thank God for everything was okay in the end. right away thought about some preemptive measures (laughs) to be safe so basically um the next day i thought about whenever there's a downpour even like potential heavy rainfall i would just park my car not near my home you know from somewhere high up like some neighboring areas they're a little bit higher so it's it's like less vulnerable to flooding. But then, you know, another thing is I find the villagers are very clever. I mean, the day I went home on Friday, I saw many cars were parked already on some higher areas. I mean, drivers had this nightmare before probably. Because seven years ago, that flooding was pretty bad. The entire villages' cars were ridden off. Most of them were floating in water or even basically flooded
0: totally to the ceiling of the car. That was Denise Zung. As Denise mentioned, her cars were safe and her house only had a bit of water leakage. But other people across Hong Kong weren't so lucky. There were homes, shops and restaurants that were heavily damaged by floods. After a stormy night, many Hong Kong residents awoke the next day with many questions, such as, who was going to pay for all of this damage? Here's Harvey Kong again.
2: I guess another burning question on the minds of many Hong Kong residents waking up the next morning was, where was the government's response? When are we going to see, you know, government officials talking about what's going to come next? And that's sort of what happened on Friday afternoon when the government officials started coming out to sort of explain the situation. Sort of explaining what caused this mess and also sort of responding to the understandable anger that was brewing within Hong Kong residents. Because not only are we seeing historic amounts of flood water, a lot of different types of chaos that's caused as a result of flood water, you're also seeing other rare things as well, such as landslides, which is also a fairly rare occurrence here in Hong Kong, even during under these extreme weather conditions.
1: Last night and today, Hong Kong experienced serious rainfall that hasn't been seen in the past hundred years. It has brought a significant impact As a result of the remnants of the trough of low pressure of typhoon highquake, we have
0: experienced heavy rainfall and widespread flooding. One pressing question from the public actually has to do with what happened in Hong Kong a week before the black rainstorm. That's when the city was hit by another extreme weather event, Typhoon Saola. It was the most powerful typhoon to hit the city in five years. But we all saw that one coming. Weather forecasters were tracking the storm minute by minute. People had time to stockpile their fridge and pantries. During the press conference on Friday afternoon, government officials were asked a myriad of questions, including why they were holding a press conference nearly 15 hours after the Black Rainstorm Alert was first issued, why Hong Kong's leader, John Lee, didn't attend that press conference, and why the government didn't issue a warning about the storm earlier. Here's what Hong Kong's number two ranking official, Chief Secretary Eric Chan, had to say.
2: Uh, this heavy rain,
1: the predictability is very low when compared with typhoon. So in typhoon, uh, we can make an early prediction, so we can make an early preparation. But for this heavy rain, it was really, really so big that, uh, as mentioned by our colleague, it was once in uh, 500 years. So it's so and so sudden, and the uh, predictability is so low, so that's why we cannot uh, to act as the uh, former uh, typhoon uh, Sora that uh, we can uh, do the announcement very early beforehand.
0: In terms of warning the public about the rainstorm, the Hong Kong government released several statements. Its first official response came in the early hours of Friday at 1:19 a.m. on the chief executive John Lee's Facebook page. The post appealed to the public to remain in safe places, but it was bombarded with criticism. One person wrote in the comment section saying, "Not everyone was on Facebook. Why wasn't even an SMS sent to residents in this kind of situation?" Hong Kong actually has an SMS alert system. The government spent $150 million Hong Kong dollars to develop it during the COVID pandemic. But it wasn't put to use to alert residents during this rainstorm. Here's what Hong Kong's Deputy Chief Secretary, Warner Cherk, had to say when asked about it.
2: The purpose of uh, issuing emergency notification via SMS is really to alert the public to uh, very sudden uh, emergencies uh, such, as, uh, such as power failure, Uh, But in this present case, uh, the onset of the um, black rainstorm is very clear. I think any uh, members of the public who is still awakening would have noticed uh, this uh, heavy rainstorm situation. So it won't be necessary to uh, uh, use that system to uh, send SMS to individual citizens to just really stating the obvious.
0: So, Harvey, the government press conference was on Friday afternoon, but on Saturday, there were emerging reports that people in a particular community in Hong Kong were left stranded because of damaged roads. Can you tell us more about that?
2: So the community involved in this particular incident was Sheko, and Sheko is actually home to about 2,500 villagers. And what happened there was that there were two landslides on Sheko Road, which blocked off access to Sheko from the outside and also vice versa. So, what happened there was that since Friday, people were concerned that they won't be able to have access to the rest of the village, and also people weren't able to have the necessary supplies that they need.
1: And also, in
2: our situation, emerged that they were cut off from internet as
1: well.
2: Um, so on Saturday, that was one of the pressing concerns for officials was how to deal with the situation in Chekho And originally, some of the solutions floated were to work on the blockages in the road itself. But before that, some residents have also started finding their own ways around it. Some people have resorted to hiking. Some have resorted to taking boats and sort of ferrying people to other parts of Hong Kong instead. And until later on the afternoon on Saturday, there was a sort of organized government effort where the Marine Police and also the Fire Services Department Started making a makeshift dock on the beach of SECO and they were evacuating people. And that was sort of the solution until the road was cleared, which was then announced by chief executive that the road would be cleared around 9 PM and the road was open. Not exactly at 9 p.m., but shortly afterwards, and they were able to have one bus, a single-decker bus, go through. And that was the sort of renewed connection for Sheko back to the rest of Hong Kong afterwards. So that situation has been solved for the time being until they can restore the rest of the access to the roads.
0: So when you were reporting on all of this, were you ever concerned about your own safety?
2: So I didn't really mind covering this because um, this event was historic. This is not something that you see every single day. And I assume this is why most of us go into journalism in the first place. But yes, I did take my safety into account. After all, I was equipped with only an umbrella, a dodgy t-shirt and some shorts. So I really didn't want to risk um, anything. (laughs) And I was really filming most of the footage and photos on my phone. So I did try not to venture out into floodwaters that I think had some sort of hidden danger or the currents were too strong I believe so I did take my safety into account but I felt like we had a responsibility to report on this because this was something historic that was happening to the city and potentially unfortunately affect quite a lot of people afterwards.
0: Harvey, we're speaking on Monday evening. That's 3 days after the black rainstorm alert was canceled. What's the situation like in the city right now? Is everything back to normal?
2: It's a mixed bag, really. In some parts of Hong Kong, people are having their own normal commute. And even in some of the perhaps worst hit places, for example, Wong Tai Sin. So I was in Wong Tai Sin MTR station this morning talking to commuters and basically gauging how they felt about everything that's happened and, you know, whether or not they felt concerned about their commute on Monday morning. Uh, and most people... Did have some concerns, but in the end, they felt that the situation has mostly returned to normal and they could go to work as normal, even though they did have contingency plans in place, for instance, you know, arriving earlier or leaving home earlier or just, you know, memorizing a backup bus route just in case. But unfortunately, commutes weren't as smooth in other places in Hong Kong. For instance, there was still flooding in some areas, for example, Kun Tong, O, and also Sai Kung. But as of Monday evening, these have been cleared according to uh, government officials. So perhaps they would have a smoother time going back home instead of the experience they had going to work this morning.
0: Harvey, what's next for you? Is there anything that you're keeping a close eye on? Or are you working on any follow-up stories to this?
2: So my colleagues and I are still continuing on uh, and, and sort of reporting on this issue as it comes. And I guess the sort of continuing questions that the public might have or that we would have is sort of, how will the government take this policy going forward? How will they adjust the city's rainstorm coverage? And sort of, how will they deal with the follow-up following this rainstorm coverage? There's still some issues that have yet to be solved. For instance, whether or not the government are prepared enough, how they should adjust the policies. And on the other hand, there are also still some follow-up issues as well. As we speak, there's still some schools that have been damaged as a result of the flood, so that still needs to be resolved. And also, perhaps, how else um, should residents be compensated for the flood? A lot of people have been affected by the flood, no matter their own personal property, vehicles, or even their own buildings themselves. So that would also be another lingering question that the authorities or even the general public would be sort of expecting an answer to going forward. So this incident has brought up a lot of things that the government will need to solve, and also at the same time, a lot of questions that they need to answer. So I guess that we'll also be trying to figure out what comes next and also what else is there to report on.
0: Harvey Kong is a post reporter on the City Desk. You can find his and the rest of the City Desk's latest articles at scmp.com. I'm Jasmine Tse, and this is Inside China.